we're going to continue on passages that are looking at disciplining children. Lord, we thank you so much for this time together. You have prayed, O Lord, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Use your word uh, this evening to set us apart to your service and to your glory. You have said that your word will not go out and return void, but accomplish that purpose for which it is sent out and for which you have gathered us together. Bless us, us, O Lord, and bless us in your word that it would send roots downward and bear fruit upwards. Give us good soil this evening. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay, questions? Any questions jumping out at you? Uh, Well, so we've been keeping a list of questions we want to ask you. Great. Uh, Do you want to, uh, do you want to, uh, do you have them handy? You want to do it tonight or you want to make next week just questions and answers? Why don't we do that? Why don't y'all look through your questions, and then next week will be Q&A time only. What? We're looking at our Tuesdays coming up, I think. Actually, our next two Tuesdays. Our next two Tuesdays have evening things going on. Oh, okay. Well, that's so all right. We would be meeting back on the 16th. Um... Would that work? Sure. So we could do, that'll give us plenty of time to rack up. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. And as we go along, if something uh, uh, pops up or is kind of pressing, just uh, throw it out there. Okay. Great. All right. Well, let's uh, turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 23, 13, and 14. And then Robin, why don't you... Robin, how's your reading voice? Would you rather not read? No, I can read. Okay. Then we'll take turns. As long as you don't mind my cough. No, I don't mind your cough. I can't get to you anyway. (laughs) Uh, If my computer gets a virus, I'll know who to blame. (laughs) It's your coughing. Yeah. Okay, so... discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. Okay. Now, one of the things we're learning is that the rod is a tool of grace. And it's helpful, not harmful to the child. I've sent you these notes uh, by email about five minutes ago. So you can, okay, I was going to say you can take notes or write like crazy. And we're commanded to use it in a liberal manner when training and disciplining their children. The years of application from the rod are basically year 1 through 12, or puberty, whichever comes first. Okay, what's that first, what is the first phrase there, Stephen? Do not hold back. Okay, yeah, so... That's a that's a command. Uh, the Hebrew word moana, 
means to hold back. It means to uh, deny, refrain, restrain, withhold. And yet we live in an era, age, when parents are exhorted to hold back discipline. That's viewed as a virtue, isn't it? Yeah. Give them a little room. Don't make your first reaction negative. Think creatively. Hold back. Wait. See where all this leads. And yet God the Holy Spirit says the exact opposite, doesn't he? He says there's no guilt in that. Now, can you remember a sermon or a book or a teaching on child raising where you were encouraged not to hold back, but discipline at will? I don't think so. No, it's the exact opposite, isn't it? And so you have to understand, that's where you are in our culture. So you're not going to get any help culturally on this. You're going to have to go to the Bible. So we're not to hold back, and we're not to hold back discipline. It means chastisement or training. Uh, One of the ways the world system and liberal Christians attack the scriptural teaching of discipline is to equate it with punishment. But do you remember the difference between discipline and punishment? Punishment is done in anger. It is vengeance which looks to the past. Discipline is done in love. It's training that looks to the future. So if you're waiting till you get angry to discipline your child, you're waiting too long. And you are going to end up responding with punishment. So we are not punishing our children. Another thing that liberals do is they equate it with hitting. And we are not hitting or, or pounding on our child. The Holy Scriptures allow for disciplining and training the child with the rod as opposed to hitting a child in anger or vengeance. So it is true, just hitting a child would be child abuse. It would be. But that's that's different from disciplining a child, which is done for training. And the word child here is um, uh, from the age of infancy to adolescence. Now, there's a long study here and... uh, you can go through this on your own if you would like because you have the notes on it but one of the things that uh, we remember is that our phrase teenager is a cultural phrase based on the English language and that means that the numbers 13 through 19 have the word teen at the end which is where we come up with the word teenager So that phrase really doesn't make sense in most languages. So we don't rely on that. We rely on the Bible. And the Holy Scripture says that a child ceases to be be, being a child at a number of stages, but one is puberty. So generally we'll say age nine months to age 12 or puberty, whichever comes first. 
And that's when we stop using the rod. We don't stop disciplining, but that's when we'll stop using the rod. Now, it says, uh, you shall beat him with the rod. Now, this word beat does not mean pound. It does not mean attack wantonly. It emphasizes strokes with a purpose. It's used in cooking in the Bible. Uh, where you are beating dill or cumin. When you de- beat dill or cumin when you're cooking, you don't get angry and start pounding it and uh, uh, you have uh, spices going everywhere and the stick breaks and the table breaks and you're screaming and pounding. No, it's a, it's a very purposeful slap of the dill or the cumin. You strike it purposefully and you do it with shebet. The word she, uh, the word rod is shebet. It means a stick, a rod, a staff. The equivalent today we have is the wooden spoon, the spatula, something like that. And the result is is that we deliver the child from death. We deliver the child from Sheol. And that word deliver is commonly used in, in scriptures. David prayed in Psalm 39.8, Deliver me from my transgression. Psalm 51.14, Deliver me from blood guiltness. Psalm 144.7, Deliver me out of great waters. And so this word deliver is not poetic, but doctrinal. It has deep scriptural roots in scripture. And so the rod is a tool of grace... And it's going to deliver from Sheol. Now that's technically hell. It's a place of conscious existence. So what we're doing is we're laying the foundation in our child for receiving the discipline of God, but also receiving the word of God. Do not hold discipline from your child, although you beat him with the rod, he will not die. You will beat him with the rod and deliver his soul from Sheol. And so it is a tool of grace. And we, and we need to remember that. So one of the reasons we are disciplining our children with the, with the rod is to move them from that group of children who are under the judgment of God, who disobey their parents, to that group of children who are under the blessing of God, who obey their parents, and at the same time, removing foolishness from their lives. It's a very clear teaching in Scripture. So let's look at some verses here that talk about the rod. And then when we meet again on the 17th, we're going to be, we will have finished with the doctrinal foundations and look at things very practical. He who spares his rod hates his son. He who loves him disciplines him diligently. And we have to remember that God defines what love is, not us. God defines what it means to love your wife, what it means to love your husband, what it means to love him, and what it means to love your children. And the Bible says that the father who spares his rod hates his son. Now, there was a Finnish businessman uh, during the question-answer time. He says, I don't use the rod on my son. You can't say I do not love him. I do love my son. 
And I said, well, I would never say you don't love your son, but the Bible says it. What are you going to say one day when your son wants to move in with his girlfriend? They're not going to get married. She gets pregnant and they're going to have an abortion. And they want to have multiple partners. And uh, you say, well, no, no, the Bible says that that is sin. And, the, and he replies, no, I'm a, I'm a better person when I'm living with her. And then when we have these relationships... And you can't say, I don't love her. And you can't say, this is love. Nothing that feels this good can be wrong. Well, you, they have, he has laid the foundation in that thinking in his failure to discipline his child. In Houston, you can sign up for experimental drug programs. They'll pay your expenses, they will give you a stipend, if you need transportation, they'll pay for that. And, uh, uh, but Eleanor and I never did that. We would never do that. There are double-blind studies. Your child might have a serious illness and all they are getting intravenously is sugar water or uh, a sugar injection or saline injection, or sugar pills. Well, we don't experiment with our children. And every generation, in fact, more often than that, every five or six years, a new book is trotted out by the moderate and liberal uh, Christians that gives alternatives to disciplining and training children. And you know, I always want to ask, what what are these people's what are these teachers' children look like? How are they doing? And the unfortunate thing is, when they get around to saying, "Well, never mind, maybe we didn't have it right," their children and your children, it's already too late, isn't it? So I don't experiment with certain things. I don't gamble with certain things. And one of the things I didn't experiment with was my children. I didn't experiment with other religions after I became a Christian. I didn't think, well, maybe I, there's something I can learn from the Koran. Maybe I'll read that. Maybe the Book of Mormon. Maybe the Hindu Book of Dead. No. I was having enough trouble reading through the Bible every year without reading other pagan books. I wasn't going to experiment with other religions. Proverbs 20.30 says, Stripes that wound scour away evil, and strokes reach the innermost part. Now, the world teaches that a parent who spanks the child, who disciplines as a child, is a bad parent. What does God's Word teach? Well, God's Word teaches exactly opposite. The world teaches that we should be very, very careful, maybe just gently tap our child to get their attention, if you do that. That, that, all, that, the, that the spanking, is all it is is an intention getter. What does the Word of God teach? It teaches that it scours away evil. And we'll talk about this some more, but if you spank your child and it gets a bruise, and... Uh, you will be accused of child abuse. But a mother who lets her child play soccer and the child gets a bruise from playing soccer, is that child abuse? 
If you're teaching your child to ride a bicycle and he falls over and cuts himself, is that child abuse? If you're letting your child learn how to crawl up the slide and slide down and he bumps down and bruises his bottom, is that child abuse? If your child is learning to how to play kickball and the ball hits him uh, in the face and he gets a bloody nose, is that child abuse? If your child is learning how to roller skate or ice skate and in teaching your child to do that, he falls and uh, breaks, breaks his ankle or breaks a finger or his wrist, is that child abuse? No, none of those things are child abuse and they are all far worse than spanking because they were arbitrary, unexpected, and very painful. Now, if a parent is teaching their child to ride a bicycle and the parent gets mad at the child and shoves him, that's child abuse, isn't it? Right. Or gets the child can't hit the baseball and kicks the baseball and finally the parent just gets mad and throws the ball at him and he gets a bruise, that's child abuse. But in the process of training, in almost all skills, there, there will be some pain and some marks involved. When your cousin Megan was learning to play the violin, before she got calluses, she got blisters and sometimes her fingers bled from working the strings on the violin. That's not child abuse. And we have to remember that. So let's go on to the next passage. Ah, we have a visitor, Emmanuel. How are you, sir? I believe Emmanuel's checking in from Nigeria. It must be 3 a.m., Emmanuel. Where are you calling from? Oh. Very well. Just, he went away. Okay. In Proverbs 22:15, it says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, and the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. We have to remember that children are not sinful because they sin. They are not born a blank slate, which is marred by their parents, society, and culture. Children sin because they're sinful. They are born with the imputed sin of Adam, the curse under which all mankind toils. And we, we looked at that earlier, didn't we? That we are born with the sin of Adam. Children are born sinful, foolish, and helpless, and if left to themselves, they are doomed to remain in that sinful, foolish, and helpless state. Now, the ultimate solution for that is that they become Christians, and their sin is in turn imputed to Christ, and he is punished for that sin which allows for their salvation. But in the meantime, the rod is a tool of grace to drive that foolishness out of them so that they can learn to be obedient and submissive and responsive to the Word of God. Children are born foolish and helpless, and if left to themselves, they will remain foolish and helpless. Children are not foolish because they act in a foolish manner. They're, they're not born a blank slate. Children act foolish because they're born foolish. It's in their nature, and it's our responsibility to remove that from them. 
We begin with the rod that transitions to the gospel, then to discipleship and Christian maturity, and then the word of God. But the first tool that comes into play is the rod. Now, you can remember this, can't you, Robin? After you gave birth to your child, remember, you know, you're lying there, you're covered with sweat, your hair, your, your, uh, Hair is all matted. Now, did you do a C-section or a traditional birth? Traditional. Yeah, okay. All your bones are aching. And they bring the baby into you. And he looks up to you and says, Mommy, you're so tired. You just lie there quietly and I'll cuddle with you. <laughs> That's what the baby said, didn't it? No. no. Feed me. Hold me. Change me. Feed me. I don't want to sleep. Ah, entertain me. Play with me. Feed me. <laughs> I called my dad. Becca had been with us for about three months. And I said, Dad, I don't know if I can do this. He said, that's all right, son. Just about the time you think you're going to go crazy, she'll sleep through the night. Just hang in there. And this was before the internet and 24-hour TV. Hey, at midnight, there was no TV. None. Nothing. Just the rocking chair in the dark. And that baby doesn't care. They, They don't care. So we know from experience how selfish children are, don't we? They're cute. They're lovable, but they're selfish. In fact, um, uh, one of our children did something, and Eleanor commented, that's just his black heart. The child was a little baby, and her mother went, children don't have black hearts. They're so good. All children are good. There are no bad children. (laughs) They're only bad parents. Well, that's a lie. There are bad children, and parents are working very hard to do the right thing. So this process, if left unchecked, will continue into adulthood. God can intervene. He can use the school, the government, the church, the military, the prison system, the judicial system. But that's a far harsher way to learn these things. So it's better to go with God's primary tool for disciplining and training, which is the parent. But remember, that presupposes that a parent is there to do it, isn't it? It does. It presupposes. And that's our responsibility that presupposes that. So God has provided grace through the parent to train the child with a rod, to deliver him from foolishness and ultimately from hell. So we praise God for that. And our, and our children should too. So I never told my child when I was going to spank them. I never apologized. This hurts me more than it hurts you. <laughs> Sometimes I said the exact opposite. You have to remember, this doesn't hurt me at all. In fact, I feel good about this. This is really good for you. So I'm just going to stick with you till this foolishness is gone and you can obey. Uh, I don't have to be at work till, I don't have to leave to work till 6 in the morning. And then your mom can pick up where we left off. 
but it's not going to go away. Remember, do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You will beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from Sheol. So you see, there's just not, you know, it's just not one obscure verse that talks about this, is there? The Bible is full of these verses. So were you spanked? Okay, so are you a psychopath? No. If spanking psychologically damages a child, almost all those born before 1970 are psychopaths. So it's just not true. In fact, in my doctoral research, I've read uh, over 200 biographies and autobiographies of great men and women, and they were all universally spanked. And they're all esteemed in our society, and none of them were psychologically damaged. So, it is not, you, you beat him with a rod, and he won't die. <laughs> you can almost see the humor in God's statement in that. He's not going to die. You're not going to damage him. I'm not going to kill him. That's right. In fact, just the opposite is true. If you don't discipline your children, those are the children who end up many times dead or damaged or psychologically. Physically answered. Yeah, that's exactly right, Stephen. See in Proverbs 29:15, the rod and reproof gives wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. Now, how does that look? Well, I'm in the uh, supermarket, and I see a child screaming, running away, going limp. Is that mother proud to be a mother at that point? No, she's embarrassed. The child is shaming her. How about shame in the church? They want to leave the child in the nursery or Sunday school, and the child throws a fit. You're sitting there, and up on the screen, number 22 pops up. Well, everybody knows that's your kid, and the people in the, in the nursery can't take it anymore, and you're being called in there to take care of your child. Well, no, that, that, yeah. our number never appeared. It never popped up. Uh, we disciplined our children. They weren't allowed to throw temper tantrums. And, and uh, it began with them being willing to go to bed without throwing a temper tantrum and begin to take their rest time without throwing a temper tantrum. And then it transitioned to other things in the home without throwing a temper tantrum. So when it came to Sunday school and church, uh, we would say, this is just like nap time. You have to stay here. And if you throw a temper tantrum, you know what will happen. So you instruct, discipline, instruct, restore, and then you go back. And so they start screaming again. Well, okay, that's going to be three strokes. Then they do it again. Okay, that's going to be four strokes. But you, you have to win. Shame with relatives. Give grandma a kiss. And the child refuses to give grandma a kiss. Well, then we would discipline our child. Now grandma doesn't want a kiss. I'd say, no, no. Well, that's, they'll hate me. No, they won't. <laughs> but when we say give grandma a kiss on the cheek, they need to do that. Refusing to speak 
to relatives. That's shameful behavior. Breaking things. Causing you, ha- causing you to leave a meal or a family gathering or a meeting early. Refusing to greet pa- a pastor or another adult. And so you, you train them to do that. You instruct, train, instructing, train, discipline, instructing, train, restore. And you, if you want to teach your children to greet adults, then you have practice time with them greeting Robin and then Robin having them greet you. Shake the hand, look in the face, speak up. Shake the hand, look in the face, speak up. Shake the hand, and you practice that. And then they are able to do it. And then when they don't do it, you know it's disobedience, isn't it? It's not shyness. It's disobedience. But what if it is a natural reticence? What if they aren't especially a social person? Is it a good wisdom and life skill to overcome social fears in order to expand your network of Christian relationships? Or is it a good wisdom and life skill to to allow a child to collapse within themselves? Oh, well, we will help them with that. I had two social butterflies. I had two children who were not naturally social, but we worked with all of them with social skills. We didn't demand that those who were not uh, social butterflies to be one, but we did require them to have social skills. Now remember that the, in the world, the people who are teaching that the rod is wrong, that's not the only thing they're teaching, is it? They're teaching, yeah, the scriptural injunctions on the rod is wrong, and uh, you're, there should be freedom in moral exploration, freedom in religious exploration. Rejecting of spanking is not simply a lay aside a difficult passage and retaining the rest. It's a package deal. And they will they will lay aside not just spanking, but any structure uh, discipline, structure, and child raising. Yeah, I, I threw away a book. I couldn't get through it. It was it was terrible, but they, they were basically saying that your job as the parent is to basically be the consultant to the, to the child. Yes. Let them, let them figure things out on their own and, and, and deal with some consequences and do all that on their own, and you're just there to consult them through through everything. Which is really cruel. Yeah. Oh, man. I because they don't know the consequences of their actions. That was my parents' Uh, view of child raising. My dad was, uh, if you want to do well in school, then uh, it's going to go well from you. If you don't do well in school, you want to goof off, that's your decision, and you'll live with the consequences. But I, but you know, I didn't realize till my junior year of high school what those consequences were. That wasn't fair. I didn't realize what the social and financial and, you know, there's tremendous consequences with not doing well in school and with uh, not being required 
to have good behavior and not being willing to submit to authority. Okay. My brother was a natural academic, and uh, 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 it was very easy for him to live a structured life in submission to authority. So he did great in school and went off to a, a Baylor University on a full academic scholarship. Well, that, that wasn't going to happen to me. And of course, uh, parents who have that attitude say, well, we told you so. Now what are you going to do? Well, that's, that's cruel. We, you didn't know that. So you're right. There, you can sit down and decide what is important for the success of your children and then move them in that direction. So, the rod is a tool of grace. It's important for us when interpreting scripture to submit to the most basic principles of biblical interpretation. Words have meaning. That's the first thing. If words don't have meaning, all communication is nonsensical, isn't it? So, if I say it's raining outside, we're not having the church picnic, and then you show up at the park, and I say, and and you're mad at me because nobody else is there, and I say, well, it's rain. I said it was raining, and the picnic was canceled, and you said, well, that's not my interpretation. To me, rainy means sunny. And canceled means come early. Well, no, words have meaning, don't they? And any interpretation of a sentence is subject to the definition of the words in the sentence. Now, there is some latitude in raining, isn't there? And there is some latitude in the word canceled. But they have basic definitions, and you're not free to interpret. It's raining outside. The picnic is canceled. We'll reschedule it another time. Uh, you, you're not free to, to pass on to everybody. The picnic's on. Come early. It's a great day. Well, it's the same with Bible verses. We are not free to take these verses in Proverbs and then say, well, that's not my interpretation of the verse. I don't believe a loving God would want me to hit my child with a rod. Well, I would say neither do I. But that's not what's happening. You're disciplining your child with a rod, which is entirely different. And I don't believe a loving God would ever want me, when I'm teaching my child to ride a bicycle, to push him over onto the concrete. But, but I wouldn't do that. And discipline with the rod is not hitting. And letting go of the bicycle and allowing your child to learn balance is not pushing him over on his side. I heard a parent say, my rod is the timeout. What's your rod? Well, no, you, you can't do that. The Hebrew word shebet has a meaning. It's a dowel, a short stick. It's used primarily for three things things. One is for cooking. The other is for getting sheep's attention. And the last thing is for spanking children. My rod is going to your room. What's your rod? No, that's, Bible doesn't say isolation drives out foolishness. In fact, when a child is in time out or in their room, they're not alone. 
the world, the flesh, and the devil are there with them. And they can become very bitter, very angry because of isolation. While they sit there with their, their face to the wall or in their room and they hear everybody else in the family laughing and talking and having a good time and they're being isolated. Well, that's cruel. Why not better instruct, discipline, instruct, restore, and the, and the, the separation from the family is just that short amount of time it takes to go through that process. This is not what a rod means to me. What a rod means to me is fill in the blank. So this verse says, he who doesn't consistently use timeouts hates his child. He who loves his child is consistent with the discipline of timeouts. No, you can't say that. Because the Bible doesn't say that. In fact, there is not a single verse in Scripture that talks about isolating a child to the child's benefit. All the illustrations in Scripture were children are isolated from their parents, bad things result. Absalom sought to repent and return to his father David. His father said, no, I'm still mad at you. You go live on the edge of town. He ended up engaging in vandalism, rebellion, bitterness, anger, because he was left to his own sins. How much better the prodigal, this father of the prodigal son, who when his son repented, embraced him and restored him. That's the model we want to use. So the rod is a tool of grace. So on the one hand, we have the world's lies that the best parent is a passive parent who restricts intervention into their children's life to the greatest degree possible. But the Bible doesn't say, let a child grow up in the way he wants to grow, according to his natural bent in life. It doesn't say that. It says, train up a child in the way that he should go. And we know that. Your children don't know how to be two, three, four, five, six, seven, but you do. And we all know the difference between right and wrong. You'll hear the phrase, if you hit your child, you will teach your child to hit. That's not true. In fact, my experience in public school was that the parents of the, the, with the laissez-faire attitude, their children were actually the most violent and tended to act out their direction. Uh, children whose parents were conservative evangelicals who used biblical discipline of their children tended to be well-behaved and self-controlled. The world teaches if you're strict with your children, then they'll rebel when they're teens. I had a, uh, a fellow pastor who had a very laissez-faire attitude towards the raising of his children, and he said, well, John, you're enjoying this now. But you wait till they're teenagers, they're going to rebel against all of this. I said, no, I pray they won't. I don't think they will. But I can tell you something about your children. They're going to rebel when they're teenagers because they're going to continue going the same way they're going now. And he didn't like hearing that, but it was true. My children didn't rebel when they're teenagers, and his children just continued on in the same direction. 
Good parents of children who are strict tend to make poor parents of teenagers. A pastor told me that. You know, you're a good parent, John, because you're strict, but you know, most strict parents make of children make poor parents of teenagers. That's not true. Because I wasn't strict, I was loving. You see how manipulative that is? If you hit your children, you'll teach them to hit. That's probably true. But I'm not hitting my child. I'm disciplining them. If you're strict with your children, they will rebel. That's not true. Because I'm not strict. I'm loving them and training them in the way they should go. You're a good parent now because your children need strict parents, but then you're going to damage them when they get to be teenagers. That's not true because I'm not a strict parent. I just love my children. Sure, a pastor told me, sure, your child is compliant now, but later in life you will struggle with all sorts of internal demons because of your suppression of his natural bents and feelings. That's not true. It's simply not true. Um, all of my children have, as they've grown into adulthood, thanked me for my, uh, for Eleanor's and Aunt Eleanor's and I instruction of them and our strict training, and have sought to do the same thing for their children because it was so beneficial. I just came back from Nigeria. Every conference I did, because I've been going to Nigeria for almost 30 years, Every conference I did had second-generation adults in it who said, who thanked me for the way their parents raised them and said they wanted to raise their children in the same way. So no, that's not true. We don't obey the Bible and then damage our children. In fact, it's the other way around. On the other hand, there is some perversion of discipline through aggressive child abuse, uh, this is the extreme, not the norm. If, uh, if you, if I, I always tell in this seminar, if you were abused as a child, seek counseling. Make sure you don't reproduce that in your relationship with your children. And of course, one of the things Eleanor and I did remember is that we sat down and we made a list. We love our parents, but we're not going to do these things. We are going to do these things. These were good. But we're not going to do these other things. They are not good. That's what we did last week. When we did oh, good. Yeah. good. And remember, we differentiate. We have to think rationally about this, not emotionally. Most of the discussions on raising children are not done from a doctrinal standpoint. What does the Bible say? They begin with methodology. And that's why we've begun with what the Bible says. Okay, so what's the application? Well, we discipline with the rod. That, the rod seems to lend itself to a wooden spoon, a spatula, a, spatula, a, a small dowel, now, some people will use a switch, which is a long, slender branch and multiple strokes. I don't recommend that because it lacks the fruit of the spirit of self-control and tends not to be consistent. 
Eleanor and I like to use the rod uh, for the offense, one, two, or three strokes. It's controlled. It's over quickly. The offense or the discipline ratio is easily explained to the child. And we don't withhold the rod from children who cry easily. Bible doesn't say crying will remove foolishness from them. And we don't use the rod until the child cries. Because some children have a pretty high pain threshold. You could end up damaging them. Rather, you give them an honest one, two, or three strokes, and you stick with the training. Now, why do uh, why are is it that many men with rebellious children or unmanageable children have highly skilled and trained bird dogs? Why? Because they discipline their dogs. Yeah, yeah. I had a state director in the Navigator whose dogs were, I mean, they were the talk of all the hunters in the Navigators. But he worked with them almost every day. Right. But not his kids. And both of his kids were rebellious. They got into trouble. They were uh, drunkenness, uh, petty drug use. Uh, great sorrow to their mother. There's their dad out working with the dogs. And so, you don't teach a dog to sit by dealing with it once a week, a couple times a month, and then your dog jumps up on somebody and you start screaming at him, sit, 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 and hit him. That doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't. No, you, when, uh, 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 I know a number of people because we had a boxer who bought a boxer. And they said, boy, our boxer, you know, you, you really lucked out having such a compliant, obedient boxer. Our boxer, you know, we're thinking of having to send it back or get rid of it. Well, you know, if you have a 50-pound animal in your home that doesn't obey, that's a problem, isn't it? Yes. But if you, boxers are wonderful pets if for the first two years you work with them every single day. Every day. It's short-term loss for a long-term gain. They won't chew, they don't jump on people, they sit, they come, they go to their crate, they lie still, they only bark when they're supposed to bark, they stop barking, they're very protective, they're very loving, they allow the the small children to pull on their ears and play with them without snapping, but you have to work with your boxer. It's a big dog. And there's nothing, I mean, it's one thing for a little Tory poodle to be jumping up on your leg, and it's another thing for a boxer. And I'll tell you, there are people's homes which I won't go to, not because their dogs are vicious, it's just no fun being in a home. People are always shouting at the dog, it's always jumping on you, it's licking you, it's chewing you, you never know where it's going to be. Dog hair is everywhere, it's just not trained. So there's nothing greater than a large large dog that's trained. But one that's not trained, it's just a pain. 
And so men who have well-behaved, well-trained dogs work with them very carefully. Well, how much more with our children? It's not going to happen on weekends. It's not going to happen. It's got to be a plan and every day. And you think it's uncomfortable when your two-year-old screams or runs away or throws something at you or throws food at you. Wait till he's 15. Wait till he's 5'10", 170 pounds, and still doing that. So there are some misconceptions on child raising. One is, crying does not drive out foolishness. The rod must be used. Nowhere does the Bible equate crying with the results of the rod. Crying is not the goal, but a byproduct that may or may not happen. Driving out foolishness from the child is the goal. And uh, some children are, uh, are very tender-hearted. They feel really bad that they are um, have disobeyed, and they're crying. Uh, others, it's not that they're not tender-hearted. Uh, they just don't cry very easily or very often. I had a missionary who was attending this seminar and he was on one extreme. When I go to spank my child, she immediately begins crying, so I don't need to. Is it a good wisdom and life skill to learn to use your emotions to manipulate people and avoid consequences of bad behavior? It's not, is it? And this girl, I know she's been divorced twice. And she is extremely manipulative still with her parents. Why would she be any different? We have to remember, we're training our children. They are not training us. On the other extreme, there's abuse. I know a pastor who... uh, Uh, decided that he was going to uh, use the rod on his teenage son until he cried. And the son ran away from home. And it made the wife so mad that he had driven her son away from home that she took the other children and went to live with her parents for a month. Well, we don't go to either extreme. We First thing is, we don't spank teenagers at all. The rod is laid aside by puberty. In fact, if you discipline your children consistently for the first three or four years of their life, uh, after that, I actually, starting at about age five or six, those next six years, it was, a, it was a, an unusual occasion when I had to get out the rod. Because their foolishness was gone. And they had become Christians by then. Praising or singing hymns doesn't drive out foolishness. This Nigerian woman was explaining to me that whenever she went to spank her child, her child began praising God and singing hymns. She said, how can I spank a child who's singing hymns? Is is it a good wisdom and life skill to learn to use religious ritual to avoid consequences? 
No. What did David and Bathsheba do after they committed adultery? They went and offered sacrifices and went through ritual cleansing and yeah, they went to the temple together. See, that's what see that's why I'm with Bathsheba. We're going to the temple together. I haven't been sleeping with her. Yeah. I, there won't be any consequences. Speaking in tongues does not drive out foolishness. I was at the Christian bookstore and a woman said, You know, I never speak my child, spank my child, because when I go to spank them, they begin speaking in an angelic tongue. And how can I spank a child who's in a state of grace? Is it a good wisdom and life skill to pretend to be spiritual in order to avoid consequences of life? No, it's not. Praying a prayer of confession does not drive out foolishness. How can I spank my child after she has confessed her sin to me and to God? Well, what you do is you get the rod and you say, put your hands on your cheek, lie on the bed. That's great indoor sport. Uh, we have capital punishment here in Texas. Let's not get into a discussion of that but there have been a number of pastors who've advocated not only that the criminal should not be executed but they should be released because they became a Christian that doesn't mitigate if a criminal confesses their sins and becomes a Christian that doesn't mitigate the judgment of the state it doesn't in fact, when Paul was in prison and the walls of the prison fell down, he didn't go anywhere. He just stayed there. He was able to lead the, uh, the jailer and his family to Christ. But being a Christian does not, becoming a Christian does not mean, and confessing your sins does not mean there are no consequences for that. Using emotions or spiritual rituals to avoid consequences of our action is not a good wisdom and life skill. And so your children, uh, part of their discipline is confession and repentance. But that's part of it. You instruct, discipline, instruct, and restore. And part of that restore is they ask their mother or their father or their brother or sister for forgiveness and make up for what they've done. We would make our children kiss each other on the cheek, tell them that they loved each other and ask each other for forgiveness. Eleanor caught Sam before he kissed his sisters. Getting a mouthful of saliva and getting it all over him. So she had the disciplining for that too. So. Well, I trust y'all with my family stories, okay? You're, you're going to get this flash drive, but it's not going on the website. In this process, God does not consider pain to be negative or punitive but rather a positive and restorative agent. And we need to remember that. Biblical pattern for discipline with the rod is better than the alternatives. One is sensory deprivation. Sending your children to a dark room. That's cruel. 
relational deprivation. That's cruel. Learning to refocus sin in a socially acceptable manner is not good. Psychological abuse. Asking, pleading, bribing, threatening, telling them you're going to leave them. If they don't obey you, you're going to abandon them. That's also cruel. You've all seen this in the supermarket, the the three great tools of child raising in the world. Uh, The parent asks the child to do something and they say no. So the first thing the parent does is beg. Now that's that's healthy, isn't it? Please, please, no, please, no, please, let's just go. Don't give me a hard time. So they beg. And then that doesn't work, so they bribe. When we get home, we'll have ice cream. Well, the child knows that that's usually a lie. Probably not even any ice cream in the home. And then they threaten, well, I'll just leave you. Now that's healthy, isn't it? You won't put the candy back that you took off the shelf in the grocery store, so I'm going to leave you, sell you to the gypsies. How much better to instruct, discipline, instruct, and restore? Discipline is the true sign of love. Dr. Nichols, uh, was my, one of my professors at Moody Graduate School, said a faulty belief is the refusal to compare what I think or feel or experience with what God says. Then you get a faulty belief. He who spares his rod hates his son. He who loves him disciplines him diligently. Hebrews 12.6 For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. He scourges every son whom he receives. When are your children going to learn that? They will learn that from you. So the rod is no longer used when the child ceases to be viewed by the culture as a child, rather as a son or a daughter. We will always be our parents' sons and daughters. We will not always be their children. Children are disciplined by their parents, and children must obey their parents. Children must honor their parents, but so must sons and daughters. Look at Proverbs 27.22, and we're about to stop here. Proverbs 27.22 Though you pound a fool in martyr with a pestle along with crushed grain, yet his folly will not depart for him. Now I'll show you something. Okay. Okay. This is a mortar. This is a pestle. Put spices and herbs in there. Uh, uh, this one is from Nigeria. You put spices and herbs in there, and you get them all pounded up, and you pour them out. Now, what if you have a big one, not a little one, but a giant mortar and pestle? Oops, where did my Megan brought me back one.
from uh, Nigeria. I don't see it here. I'll show it to you on the 17th. But when Nigerians are making pounded yam, it's the mortar is about the size of a five-gallon pail, and the pestle is this big, giant thing that you hold with two hands, and you pound and pound and pound the yam while you're standing over it. Well, the Bible says you could stick a fool in there with the yams and just pound it and pound it and pound it and pound it, and the fool will never, and the folly or his foolishness won't leave him. So there does come a time in raising children when the rod doesn't work. Why? I don't know. It just is. Why? I don't know. But it is. How does the shed blood of Christ 2,000 years ago cleanse me of my sins? I don't know. But blood, the blood of Christ does cleanse sins. Hebrews 9.22 says... Uh, there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. Why? I don't know. It just is. Why, when two people get married, and the pastor says, I do, not when they are sexually intimate, but when they adhere to the covenant of marriage, they become one. I don't know. How does that happen? I don't know. I don't even know how my cell phone works. Right? Want me to call you? Listen. <laughs> How does it figure out where you are? What about all those other things? Those zeros and ones. It's all zeros and ones, and they're everywhere. You know, we're kind of, you know. (laughs) It's everywhere. (laughs) My computer, my TV, my knee-based computers and TVs, all the wireless stuff. How How does that get all sorted out? I don't know. I'm digitally recording this. How does that work? I mean, it's not even a tape recorder with a magnetic strip or a, or a vinyl platter, you know, with... That's weird enough, but all this is is electricity. No moving parts. How does that work? I don't know. So we accept all sorts of things we don't know, right? So, we discipline our children faithfully until they're 11. When they turn 12, or puberty, it stops. Some children turn uh, experience puberty early, it stops. Others experience puberty late, doesn't matter, it stops. No, at 12 and on, you're done. Well, may God add his blessing to his holy word. In Christ's name we pray, amen.